Let's look in Proverbs chapter 14 tonight. I'm going to finish up our series I've called Holding On for Dear Life as we have considered some of the passages in the Proverbs that are built around life and how to live it. And Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Now, like many of the Proverbs, our passage tonight places two things in opposition to one another, uh, a sound heart and envy. It's not hard to interpret the passage. It's very straightforward. A good, healthy heart, the Bible says, gives life to the flesh. Long before we had open heart surgery or heart catheterization or any of the medical science we've developed around heart treatment in the last uh, 50 to 60 years, uh, my grandfather uh, died at 67 of heart disease. Had he lived just a few more years, he could have gone to Houston and had bypass surgery and might have lived then for many other years. Uh, but you all remember, as I do, when people started going down to Houston to get that uh, surgery, and then before long they were doing it in Little Rock, now it's all over. It's amazing the things that we're doing uh, with the health of the heart these days. We know so much about heart health. Uh, we're not going to do everything that makes our heart healthy. Uh, but long before we knew any of those things, the Bible says this, a healthy heart, a sound heart, is the life of the flesh. And the contrast to that is also easy, easily seen. Envy rots the bones. Now, the second part of that tells us that it's not just talking about that physical muscle, the blood pumper in the middle of our chest, but it talks about a sound heart. Uh, because envy, obviously, is not an organ in our body, although sometimes we might think that it lives in us. Some, maybe the pancreas or something is, uh, secretes envy. I don't know what it is, but no, it, it's not a part of us like that. And so, obviously, we're talking about more than just the physical heart. And you'll remember that the heart in Scripture is spoken of as the center of the will, that is the place where decisions are made. That's why we believe with all of our heart, as the Bible says it. Uh, now, we know uh, that those decisions are made in the mind. We understand that. Uh, and yet, in the Hebrew way of thinking, those decisions, the center of the will was found in the heart. And that's why the Bible uh, says things like, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That's where decisions are made, choices are made. So a good, healthy heart uh, then is life to us, he says. By contrast then, envy, jealousy, uh, rots us away. A good, healthy heart builds up our life. But envy or jealousy rots that away. The bones were considered then as now to be the places of our strength. A, a broken bone in Bible times was often fatal. Uh, rottenness in the bones would be something that describes people who are losing their mobility. Uh, their bones maybe are easily uh, 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 hurt or broken. Uh, there's rottenness in the bone. We know a lot about that too. Uh, but we know how that such a thing would take away people's mobility, their ability to work and provide for their families, their ability to fight in order to defend themselves, all would go away with rottenness in the bones. And so there was something uh, about a healthy heart that gives us life and builds us up. 
By contrast, envy eats away at us and weakens us. That is the first part of that passage that we'll devote the bulk of our time to this evening. Uh, a sound heart is the life of the flesh. And I want us to move over then uh, to Proverbs chapter 15 where the writer develops more of his thinking. And in fact, if you'll continue to read in your own time uh, through those passages, uh, maybe when you get home, uh, you'll see that the heart comes up a lot. But here it is again in verse 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of, of fools feeds on foolishness. Uh, say that 19 times and see how it comes out. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart, there it is again, has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. Now, as he continues then his thinking about the heart and having a healthy heart, a sound heart, being the life of the flesh, he gives us four things then that bring wholeness, wholesomeness to our hearts. And the first one he mentions is laughter. Laughter. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 4 says it's a time to weep and a time to laugh. One of the things that God created humanity with the ability to do is to laugh. As far as we know, uh, there's no animal in the animal kingdom that laughs. Uh, now, I have to, the only exception to that that I've ever even considered realistically was a porpoise. And uh, I, I, I'm not sure whether porpoises laugh or not. Uh, only porpoises speak porpoise, so uh, we'd have to ask them. And of course, they couldn't tell us, and if they did, they couldn't understand it. But I know one thing. I was fishing one day on a pier down at Gulf Shores, and, and there was a porpoise come through. I'd hooked a big old king mackerel, and that porpoise come through and got my fish. And, and he didn't just take it. I mean, I could have lived with that. He just played with it around on top of the water. And I honestly think that he was laughing the whole time. Uh, took my fish. I, I, I still get a little bit tired of it. I wish I could say that was the only time that it ever happened, but it is not the only time that it ever happened. It's happened many, many times. Porpoises may laugh, but if they do, they're the only ones who know for sure. And they're not telling I'll stick with my theory then. Only humans laugh. You ever thought you don't teach a baby how to laugh? <laughs> they just do. They just do. And when babies laugh, you know what all the rest of us do? We laugh too. Yeah, it's amazing how that works. Abraham Lincoln was quoted as saying, God must have intended for us to laugh or he wouldn't have created so many monkeys, mules, or people. Amen. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Um, 
I, it seems to me that one of the biggest problems in America today is that people have lost the ability to laugh. Man, everybody takes everything so serious these days. I preached about that a little bit this morning, so I'm not going to get on that a whole lot tonight. Uh, but uh, uh, listen, we, we pay people these days to make us laugh. And then we attack them if they make us laugh about the wrong things. You know, it's a, I don't know how that works. Um, but everybody takes themselves and everything else so seriously. Laughing is important. God is okay with laughter. I like to preach that to missionary Baptists pretty regular. God's okay. God's okay with laughter. It's okay uh, to laugh. When Abraham and Sarah were told they were going to have Isaac, they both got the giggles, and that's why God said you're going to name me Isaac, and Isaac means laughter. Uh, God was okay with that. He was okay with that. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 21, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you should be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for you shall laugh. You shall laugh. And so uh, God obviously is okay with laughter. He created us with the ability to laugh. Every time somebody talks about how we need to smile, and this passage talks about how a merry heart shows up on the countenance, and I hear people, you know, man, when you get up and you get dressed every day, you need to put on a smile. Smile is the most important thing you put on. Uh, but you know what? I don't have a pretty smile. My daughters both have beautiful smiles. I know. I paid for them. I mean, they have, they have beautiful smiles. I've never taken a picture when I was smiling that I liked the way I looked when I was smiling. I, I just haven't. I get convicted about it. I hope you see I smile with my eyes a lot, and I smile as long as I don't see myself, I'm okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I just hope you can see the smile that's in my heart most of the time, and you can hear the laughter from the soul. I like what one writer said about it. He said, laughter is the brain sneezing. I like that a lot. <laughs> laughter is a brain sneeze. I don't have any scripture on that, okay? It just sounded good. I kind of just clears you out. Proverbs 15 and 15 says this, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. What an incredible passage that is. All the days of the afflicted are evil. Now, have you ever known anybody that just every day was a bad day? All their day, all day long, every day was a bad day. All the days of the afflicted the Bible says are evil. This is a, describing a condition uh, that not only has affected a person's countenance, it's affected their whole view of life. It doesn't matter how beautiful the sunrise is. They don't see it. It's man, it's morning. I mean, everything that comes along, there's something to fuss about, something to gripe about, something to look down about. Nothing can be enjoyed. All they see is evil in life. Oh, dear people tonight, don't let that happen to you. Don't, dear God, don't let it happen to me. I don't want to end up that way. I want to be that person that can see the good in life and in the days. Uh, every day, uh, yes, Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That means that every day is going to bring us some challenges. It's going to bring us some difficulties. It's going to bring us some hard times and some heartaches. Every day, yes, is going to bring some evil. But it's not all evil. Every day brings some good things too, some joyful things, some happy things, some beautiful things that God sees us. Every day gives us the opportunity to say, thank you, God, for your blessings and to appreciate and see them and enjoy them. 
Oh, the Bible tells us such a mouthful in this passage. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. He just has something to feast on and the blessings and the goodness of God every single day. It's sad for a believer in Christ of all people to get to where they see nothing in life to be happy about, nothing in life to enjoy, no good that's coming anywhere in their life. In that situation, life becomes a series of days to be endured. God intends for our days to be enjoyed. So one of the things that gives us a good, healthy heart is just plain old laughter, merriment, rejoicing. Uh, part of that, of course, is the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. But part of that is just simple merriment, enjoying the blessings that God has given us, enjoying family and friends, laughter. Laughter's good. It's good for the heart. Second thing he talks about is contentment. Verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 35 and 27, Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. The Bible does not say that wealth or riches are bad or are evil. And in fact, Psalm 35 tells us that God has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Okay. While that is true, it is also true that one of the great scourges of American Christianity is the prosperity preaching that so fills our airwaves and televisions these days. Millionaire preachers boasting of their wealth, outdoing each other, buying their Learjets and all the other things that's going on, and somehow trying to convince people uh, that uh, that's God's plan or that's God's will for us. God wants us to be wealthy and rich. Uh, listen, God takes care or takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. That is absolutely true. I say that tonight, that there is absolutely nothing wrong uh, with us being blessed financially, with us having a desire to better ourselves or to improve ourselves or to make a good living. All of those things, I could show you dozens of passages of scripture tonight uh, that talk about those things and how they're perfectly fine. And good. What happens is when it goes too far. So that the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And the writer of the Proverbs in this passage warns us that it's better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure in life filled with trouble. Um, I have had some of these discussions with people in Arkansas from previous generations. I heard my mother talk about growing up on a cotton farm in South Arkansas during the Depression. When I moved to Missouri a few years ago and was around there in Taney County, and uh, Taney County was a hard place to live, and it was hard to make a living, and, and, and people there were often uh, had very meager lifestyles. And one of the things that astonished me was how popular searching for morel mushrooms was in Taney County. I didn't understand it. I never got the hang of it. 
If you like morel mushrooms, that's great. Uh, I have eaten some of them. They're okay. I was not that thrilled with it. But I mean, uh, in the spring of the year, uh, those mountain folks, the folks that had grown up all their lives in Taney County and lived in the mountains, uh, they did three things. There were three things they were going to do. They were going to pick poke salad. They were going to hunt for morel mushrooms. And they were going to crappie fish. I indulged in one of those three. Um, but if the crappie weren't biting, they'd just pull up on the bank and go up on the hills and start getting those morel mushrooms. I asked them about it. They explained it to me. Uh, you know, in the spring, uh, uh, your, your reserves from the year before, most of the time, were pretty much depleted. Uh, they might have killed a hog last year, but the hog was just about gone. And, uh, they didn't have cattle, nothing like that for them. And so meat was hard to come by, and there wasn't a whole lot of fresh vegetables. And, of course, you didn't just go to a grocery store and buy groceries. And so when spring came and the poke salad started coming out and the morels started coming out, they were able then to go out and gather food from off the hills. They said they'd fry those mushrooms up, and that was like our meat. And, and then we'd have the poke salad, and they'd have cornbread, either hot water cornbread or or regular cornbread. I don't mind telling you, I'm getting a little hungry just talking about it. <laughs> It'd sit down at a table. I've heard this many, many times. Come on, preacher, come eat with us and see how poor folks eat. Might have a little slab of salt pork to go along with it. Wasn't bad. It's good eating. Bring all that up to you. There's a purpose to this, as always is the case. I get a picture in my mind of some of those folks are living in just a, a very small house they built themselves. They might have 40 acres. They're trying to meet out a living for their families. Uh, Dad works wherever he can. He comes home. The boys, if the uh, girls, if they're old enough to work, they all worked. Mom has gone out and gathered up some poke salad, morel mushrooms, Maybe got some hot water cornbread, maybe a slab or two, just a little bit, maybe a salt pork, but probably not. But that family comes in, and they're hungry, and they're tired. They sit down around the table, and they eat. Maybe there's somebody stopped by who was hungry. They share. Though their things are very meager, they share with others. They eat and they talk. They eat till it's all gone and they visit and they laugh. And when supper's over and everything's cleared up, they, they go to bed, go to sleep. Don't tell them they're poor. They're not poor. But they do have a meager lifestyle. They're what I think of when I think of what he says in this passage. Better is little with the fear of the Lord. Better is a dinner of herbs, things you gather from the field. In a place where love is. In a place where the fear of the Lord is. By contrast, we might see that person, another family, sitting down in a beautiful, beautiful palace, palatial uh, like setting huge table uh, before them are all kinds of sumptuously prepared dishes. They've killed a fatted calf and there's a big old huge rack of 
of uh, prime ribs sitting there and just waiting to be cut and enjoyed. Everything is, is, but around that table is, there's no laughter. There's unhappiness. The kids pick at their food. Can't wait to get away from the table. Better is a little where love is. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. You see, if we can't learn how to be content and how to be happy with the little, we're not going to be content and happy if we have a lot either. I'm going to say that again. If we can't learn how to be happy and content with the little, you're not going to be happy with a lot. If you can't be happy in a little house, you ain't going to be happy in a big house either. You see, the Bible tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. And Paul said so much when he said, I've learned and whatsoever I've stayed I am in, therein to be content. Uh, To have a home, whether there's little or much, if it's a home where people fear God and where they bow their head and pray and thank God for his blessings, whether there's little or much, if that home is filled with love and laughter and life, whether there's little or much, Uh, That's contentment. Contentment. The third thing he brings up is anger. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he is slow to anger, allays contention. Um, We've heard about that guy who tries to put out fire with gasoline. Uh, that I I know that that, that's a hyperbole. That never happens, okay? But still... It is a very good mental image. A wrathful man stirs up strife. A man of temper is a wrathful man. And he is constantly then stirring up strife. We talk of people who can start a fight in an empty room. This happens by the words that we speak. When we are angry then, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and we speak angry things. And the more anger we let out, the more anger uh, is produced. Uh, And you say, well, I can't help it or can't control it. That's not true. That's not true. This has probably never happened to any of you, but maybe you've been around somebody else when it was happening. Here's a, here's a man and his wife, and they're going at each other. I mean, they're angry, and they're mad, and they're talking terrible to each other. All of a sudden, that cell phone goes off, and they pick it up and say, Hello? How are you? Oh, yeah, we're doing great. Don't tell me we can't control what we say or how we say it. We can. We can. But it's just that anger tempts us to let loose a lot of things. And the more we let it loose, uh, the more uh, it creates. A, A wrathful man, an angry man, a man of temper stirs up strife. I'm told that hurricanes gather up the heat and energy of the tropics and carry them north to somewhere. And uh, as a result, they're actually performing a a good thing upon the earth because they're moving all that energy north and it's kind of providing venting to the tropics. Uh, But I'll tell you what, when they make landfall, they may have vented the tropics, but my, what is unleashed... We've learned that earthquakes predominantly occur because of fault lines that are locked up and they are uh, creating tremendous pressure 
and the pressure builds and builds and builds and builds until finally it breaks loose and when it does an earthquake is created and uh, you know the, the, all that pressure is vented out <laughs> but it causes an earthquake Uh, there's a lot of times we're tempted to speak in anger when we should not speak at all. And sometimes, you know, ladies complain because their husbands, you know, they won't say anything to them. But ladies, you don't want your husband speaking to you in anger. And you shouldn't speak to him in anger. Because when you let that anger loose, it might make you feel better, but you get that mental image of what happens when the hurricane goes to shore. Get that mental image of what happens when the earthquake breaks loose and releases all that pressure. Everything around it is flattened. We can do damage in five minutes of anger conversation that we can't fix in five years or 50 years. The angry man stirs up strife. But by contrast, that person who is slow to anger allays contention. Just learning how to deal with that and control it. Of course, James very famously said, uh, uh, let everyone be uh, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, because the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Get a hold of wrath. Don't let it take control of you. Be that person who is slow to anger. It's good for your heart. <laughs> Lastly, Work. Last thing he mentions. Work. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. He talks about a lazy person who surrounds himself with a hedge of thorns. That is, his laziness has actually made it more difficult for him uh, to make any progress at all. Uh, there are people who work harder at not working than they could actually do if they actually worked. And the book of Proverbs calls it this way, the, uh, speaks of it this way, the way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns. Surround yourself with something that's going to impede your progress. But the way of the upright is highway. You want to make progress in life? It's real easy. Work. Work, he says. Now, the effect that it has on the heart, and especially our spiritual heart, the place of the will, should be obvious to us. Uh, Nancy and I often talk about people uh, who seem to be chronic complainers. And uh, none of you, we're not talking about you. Let me make that clear. But we say it all the time. They got too much time on their hands. You ever say that? that, that, that they just got too much time on their hands. Because they get busy. They wouldn't have time to be complaining about everything that is going on all around them. Kind of goes back to that other principle where he talked about uh, how that it's possible to get in life to where nothing suits you, nothing makes you happy. Uh, everything, uh, all the days of the, of the afflicted are evil. They don't see anything good in life. Oh, listen. Uh, there's something to be said for the enjoyment that comes from knowing that you've accomplished what you set out to accomplish in a day. You've done a good day's work. You've helped somebody. You've been a blessing to somebody. You've encouraged somebody else along the way. And in that simple way of the upright, the Bible says, it is highway, highway. 
and it's good for your heart. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he's little or much. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. To get to the end of the day and know that we've done our job, we've honored God and served Him and provided for our family, and lay our head down at night and go to sleep and sleep sweetly. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Nothing in the things that I have said to you tonight are, you know, life-shattering information. There are things we've all heard before. And yet the book of Proverbs puts them together for us in such an amazing way when it talks about how that a wholesome, healthy heart is, uh, uh, gives strength to our whole life. A wholesome heart gives us strength. How to have a healthy, wholesome heart. These are some great passages tonight. But of course, most of all, the need for us to have a healthy heart goes back to our relationship with God in Jesus Christ and knowing Him as our personal Savior. And I hope, looking around this crowd tonight, uh, your testimony, from all I can see, is uh, as a people who have received Christ as your Savior. Uh, but we always want to talk about the gospel. And how important it is for us to know that we've received Jesus Christ as our Savior so that He lives in us. Maybe tonight you need to follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe you're looking for a church home. God has brought you here. Maybe you're just carrying around something in your heart that you need to take to the Lord. This is your time. Let's stand together, please.